Welcome to Cooking in Real Time, a podcast for practical kitchens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cooking in Real Time. My name is Zora O'Neill, and I'm here with you again to talk about a subject rather than a specific recipe. So I'm just going to talk instead of cook. This is one of those all about slash recipe decoder kind of episodes, Um, in part because I kind of screwed up. (laughs) I did cook through a whole recipe, and then I was like midway through, I was like, did I already do this once? And indeed, like back from the first season, you know, 10, 11 years ago, yes, I did do the very pasta recipe I was doing. Anyway, so you didn't need to hear that again. So instead, I'm going to be talking to you all about saffron. And of course, I'm thinking saffron because it's spring all of a sudden. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but the birds are going crazy. They're outside just chirping, 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 and it's clear and sunny and pretty windy. And it all makes me think of saffron because saffron comes from crocus flowers, and those are usually the first flowers to bloom in the spring to come up through the snow and everything. And last spring, maybe in May, I ran out of saffron And here is the tenuous connection to the travel theme of this season. Uh, The last time I bought any saffron was when I was in Dubai in 2017. And I went on an absolutely fabulous food tour, frying pan food adventures. If you ever get yourself to Dubai, you must, you must do them. Arva and her sister are fantastic and you'll learn so much and eat so much. And at the end of this tour, as we're like, waddling down the street. I also love it because they are literal walking tours in Dubai, which it does not feel like a walkable city. And in fact, um, there are parts that are great and perfect for it. Anyway, at the end of the tour, we sort of waddle into an Iranian shop for all your Iranian goods. And of course, they had tons of saffron. So I scored myself a little jar, or a pretty big jar, actually. And I had that for maybe three years and like I said, ran out in May of last year, and it was like, oh no, how am I going to handle the whole pandemic without any saffron of all the times to run out? What was I thinking? But, you know, I pulled myself together. A few months later, I bought a ton of saffron. I splurged this time. I bought like 10 grams of it, which is complete overkill, but I was buying it from a new place because you can't really get Iranian saffron in America because of all our sanctions and things. And I don't have any, you know, hookups, personal hookups. So I followed the recommendation of another great food organization, League of Kitchens. If you ever want to do online cooking classes, uh, I love them so much. And it is what they were doing before the pandemic was classes with immigrant women in their kitchens here in New York City, and it was such a treat. But for the pandemic, they started doing the classes online, which means you don't have to be in New York to do them. You can just do them from wherever you are. And I did one of those last spring with a Persian, a Persian class, I should say. I did one of those last spring. And the instructor later recommended this particular company for saffron, Hare Spice, H-E-R-A-Y. 
and they're in Afghanistan. Uh, so I bought myself 10 grams of saffron. You know, we all had our weird little shopping moments during quarantine, and that was mine. But 10 grams of saffron is a lot of saffron. I think most people really only need like one gram or two grams. You'll be fine. Anyway, I got that and I was actually feeling pretty good because it got the price down to like $7 a gram. And then Peter came back from the Greek store and was like, hey, look, they had this saffron from Afghanistan in the Greek store. And it was one gram and it was for $7. So such a deal. Apparently it's out there too in small amounts and not in the giant quantities that I bought. So when you're out there buying your saffron, you're probably going to see a lot of saffron from Spain. I would say that's probably the most common we see in American stores. There's some from Greece and increasingly, as I said, some from Afghanistan. If you're seeing it for significantly less than $7 a gram, that's usually not a great sign because what it usually is is the really prime part is the red stigma, the little threads, but then there's also the stamen on the plant, on the flower, which is kind of yellowish, and you will see lower grade saffron that has the stamen mixed in, so the overall color of it is a little paler. And definitely don't buy saffron powder because that is almost always both the stamen and the stigma mixed together, and powdered up and there might be other fillers in there. You have no idea. It's usually much cheaper and sure it's convenient, but it's already sort of losing its savor. So avoid the powdered stuff. Avoid, I've seen also like liquid saffron, which is another convenience, but that's always padded out with weird stuff. And I'll talk about a little bit later. You can make your own saffron liquid pretty easily. So that's what to look for when you're shopping. It's also worth noting, you know, I'm saying Greece, Spain, Iran, Afghanistan, we think of saffron here in the United States, we often think of saffron as being very exotic and far away and, you know, an Eastern thing. But in fact, some people grow it here in the United States. And I didn't realize this until I was in Pennsylvania Dutch country, outside Lancaster, Pennsylvania, probably five or six years ago, and I was in some kind of Mennonite bookstore, gift shop, museum. And at the checkout, there was a little box of these tiny little vials, and it said, locally grown saffron. And that kind of blew my mind. And the guy at the checkout said, yeah, it's just somebody's hobby. Like, it used to be a really normal part of the cuisine for a certain group of Pennsylvania Dutch. And you know, now nobody grows it themselves. They just buy it if they want it. But the saffron he had there was sort of somebody's weekend hobby. You know, they grew it every year and harvested a little and sold a little. So I think that's super interesting. And I mentioned it to my mom and she was like, oh yeah, yellow Dutch. That was like a phrase my mom used when she was cooking certain noodles, like, oh, yellow Dutch style, meaning you add a little saffron and that is a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. So I love things like that where you think it's, you know, some far away thing and it turns out it's actually close by and a little bit ordinary. Anyway, that's all about the shopping and the buying and the where you might find it. After I bought my whole ridiculous load of 10 grams of saffron, then I sent a bunch of it to my mom 
and to my dad, and both of them called me and were like, well, what do you do with saffron? So that's the other big question. What I do with saffron is actually something they used to cook for me when I was a kid, arroz con pollo, which is Spanish-style chicken and rice with saffron and usually peas and a little red pepper. And, you know, there's arroz con pollo all over the Spanish-speaking world. But when I was growing up, my mom used to make this particularly with saffron. And to me, it strikes me, it's kind of like super streamlined paella, right? You know, not the whole smoking it on an open fire with various kinds of seafood and thing. It's just chicken and rice and saffron. And in fact, way back in the first season of Cooking in Real Time, I did an episode about that. So you can go check that out as one thing to cook with your saffron. When I got this haul of saffron this past year, the first thing I did with it, of course, was make some arroz con pollo. And this time I added just the tiniest bit of Turkish red pepper paste, which really, oh my God, made, like transformed the whole thing. It was so good. It was not standard at all, but that's like another ingredient I should just mention in passing and maybe I'll do an episode, but I don't know how common it is anywhere else. I happen to be able to get it in my grocery store, but I guess I shouldn't dwell on something not everyone can get easily, but there's a tantalizing thing if you wanna Google it, Turkish red pepper paste. Anyway, Arroz con pollo is one thing. The other thing, well, there's a whole world of things to do with saffron, but in general, just think white foods. I'll, I'll take it very well. Like, you want your baseline ingredient to be very mild, so it's not competing with or overpowering your saffron. You want the saffron to be the star of the show. So, you know, rice, of course, chicken, as opposed to beef or lamb. Although I have had some good lamb dishes with a little saffron, so that's not unheard of. But in general, usually it's used more commonly with chicken or with fish. Fish and saffron is especially nice because it's quite mild. Anything kind of milky. Noodles, of course, Pennsylvania Dutch, yellow Dutch noodles. Cakes, sweets, um, you know, there's a whole Scandinavian cooking tradition, baking tradition, using saffron in buns and cakes and things like this. So that is a whole thing to explore. I love sweet saffron things. And um, what else? What else? Oh, of course, the whole recipe I was going to decode for you. So when my parents called me and asked what I do with saffron, I was like, oh, one of the things I cook a lot is this recipe I read about on The Art of Eating, which is a fantastic magazine. I'm full of recommendations this episode. The Art of Eating is really one of the most impeccable food magazines. It is sadly only online now, so I don't read it as much as I used to. It's available in PDF format, so I could print it out and sit around and read it, but I don't. The editor, Ed Bear, is wonderful and there's just so much to learn in, in every single article. And a while ago, one of my issues included a recipe for charred stalks with anchovy and a little bit of saffron. It's a recipe from Provence, which Provence brings the other great saffron dish, bouillabaisse, a seafood stew with saffron in the broth. And so this charred dish I read about it and I was like, oh, that's great. You always want a little something to do with charred stems because 
you cook the greens and it is usually nicer to have the stems separate because they cook at a different rate. So I often cut the stems out and what I usually do is roast them, but I want one other thing to do besides with the charred stems. So this dish quickly got in my regular rotation, but <laughs> I've been recommending it to people as something I cook with saffron for years. And I finally went back and read it and I realized I do nothing in this recipe. Like the flavors are there, but I have completely transformed it and I didn't even realize it. Here I've been blithely being like, oh yeah, I love this recipe. Here, go look it up. And now I see that I have created something entirely different and I didn't even know. So the recipe as written is called charred stalks with anchovy. The saffron is like way down the list. And it involves, it's kind of a gratin. Well, I thought it was a gratin because the picture in my head is the photo that goes with this recipe, which is like a big oblong baking dish with all the charred stems like lined out and they've obviously been baked and they're all crusty on the edges and they look fantastic and I changed that into in my head into a kind of creamy baked dish when in fact it is something where you make a court bouillon which is something I'm just not finicky enough to do which is making you know not a kind of a broth a, you know with herbs and pepper and stuff in it and then you use that broth to create a white sauce and then you add the saffron to that and you put and then you blanch the charred stems and then you put the charred stems in the sauce and you bake it all now in my head i've just turned that into over the years baking charred stems with like half and half and anchovy and garlic and saffron and it turns out great there's no dairy in the original recipe. I don't know where I got that idea and when I introduced it, but it is a reflection of how you can take a recipe and kind of take out the core flavor combinations and change the technique a lot, a lot, and some of the ingredients, and still end up with something that I don't think is super far off from what the original is. It certainly has all the all the key flavors are still there. So basically, instead of making a white sauce that is like enhanced with this court bouillon business, I just use some cream or some half and half. Half and half is fine too. And I don't pre-blanch the charred stems. I just assume there's going to be enough liquid in the whole thing and it's gonna be fine, they'll all cook through. Maybe they have to stay in the oven longer than the original recipe called for, but that's fine too. I do not, well, I think I do usually saute the garlic and the anchovy a little bit beforehand. Just, you want the anchovy to kind of melt in the oil so you don't end up with like big chunks of anchovy, but maybe you want big chunks of anchovy. It just depends on how much time you're willing to put in. I usually am willing to give it a little time of sauteing garlic and anchovy together just until the anchovy sort of softens up and spreads out through the oil a little bit. Then you kind of toss all your charred stems together in that oil, pour over, um, oh, and you put your saffron threads. I put the saffron threads right in that oil right at the very end. And then you pour in your half and half and you put it in the oven and bake it. And could I tell you more specifics? Not offhand, I think I do it at 350, maybe 400. 
keep it covered a little while to keep the moisture in so that the charred stems cook through. And then once the charred stems are kind of soft, then you can take the foil or the lid off and let the liquid kind of cook down. And you want sort of nice brown, reduced creaminess all around. And it's delicious. So I will put the full recipe. I realize that is just absurd, bare guidance on how to cook that but I'll put the full details on the website for a little clearer reference and I'll put a link to the original recipe so you can kind of compare and contrast but it stands out as one of those things of how you can take a recipe that has many complicated steps and like finicky French behavior and just be like no the flavors are what I'm going for and I am combining them in a simpler way so I get the flavors. So it's in that sense, it's very much like the Syrian stuffed squash idea from a couple episodes ago, where you're like, this tastes great. How can I get all these tastes in my mouth at once with, you know, much less effort? So that's always a good, a good mental exercise to do on a recipe that looks very daunting. And if you don't feel up to it, you can kind of break it down into its component parts and think about the ways to get the flavors together in a simpler way. So that is one of my go-to saffron recipes, the arroz con pollo, like I mentioned, and that's in an old episode, and you can find that on the website. And what else? I Oh, I should tell you about sort of gen- general ways of dealing with saffron. So if you read widely, you know, all the cultures that use saffron, all their cuisines, people deal with it in slightly different ways. Like all the Spanish recipes seem to just like throw the saffron in to whatever you're cooking and let it cook through. Iranian Persian recipes often, well, there are two approaches. So I mentioned, um, I mentioned getting, getting or not getting saffron water. But what a lot of people do, because it's very commonly drizzled over rice after you've cooked the rice, so people will have a little jar of saffron water that they've made themselves in the fridge, and then you can just drizzle it over on your own. And what that involves is very briefly toasting the saffron threads in a dry pan over medium heat, and really it only takes a few seconds, you just kind of want to heat it up and smell and smell and as soon as you smell a little bit of saffron in the air then you're good it's just to take off like the hint of moisture and make everything easier to crumble and so once you've toasted it you know and the and the little threads will darken just the tiniest bit take that off put it in a mortar and pestle and like crunch it all up until it's in much tinier little it doesn't have to be an absolute powder, but tiny little bits. And then you pour, you put that in a jar and pour over some hot water. And then you have your saffron water and you can drizzle it over rice. You can keep it in the fridge. You really don't want to make more than you would use in like a week because it starts to lose flavor as it sits there. But it's nice to have it. And if you have it around, then you're like, hmm, does this need a little saffron? Oh, maybe it does. And you can kind of ease your way into, you know, using it in more in more common ways. I have not been in the habit of doing that and talking about it now. I realize I should do that just so I have it on hand. And I did that for a little while when I was first cooking out of the Naomi de Guide 
Persia book and that was very exciting and it was like "Mm, I'll just add a little and it just makes the whole feeling of saffron much more accessible and normal and not this huge intimidating like oh my god it's so expensive I have to be really careful you know it's expensive but like I said you shouldn't let that intimidate you any little bit is going to make is going to make a dish very good and speaking of it's worth pointing out a little goes a really long way and it is possible to put in too much like you don't want to be heavy-handed when it when a recipe says like a pinch of saffron they mean it so I have occasionally been a little bit too heavy-handed and I don't mind it but Peter is always like ah, oh, I don't like this and then that is kind of a waste. So be judicious, but try making a batch of saffron water just to have it and then have a lot of rice one week and your life will feel so glorious and springy and yellow and beautiful. So that, as I said, is one way of dealing with it. You can just, if you're feeling lazy, you can just throw it in the cooking oil of whatever you're making and it'll heat up there and sort of allow the flavors to bloom and it might not spread as evenly and beautifully throughout your dish as, um, you know, you might end up with bites that are like, whoa, that's a lot of saffron, and bites that are like, hmm, okay. But, you know, if you're working fast, that's fine too. I mean, half the time I make this chard with half and half and saffron and anchovies, I think I just toss the toss the saffron threads in there in the oil, and I don't, like, crunch them up and stuff like that. So... I think the main message here is don't be intimidated by saffron. You can get in with like a gram for $7 and that will last you for several recipes at least, probably like five or six recipes. And um, your your whole world will be expanded and you'll be in touch with all these cuisines that use this amazing flour. Like amazing that we even figured this out. I love it. I love it so much. So the birds are still chirping. It is still spring. I've kind of talked myself into using more saffron. Oh, one more thing. When you get your saffron, store it in a dark place. The light kind of starts making things degrade. And if you don't have like a perfectly dark pantry to stash it in, you can wrap the whole thing up in aluminum foil. the whole jar. That's what I've done with mine. It looks like a weird drug stash in my pantry, but that's kind of what it is. So fair enough. Anyway, hit me with questions. Feel free to email me. Email's on the website and I'll put all this, I'll put a summary of this whole thing up at cookinginrealtime.com and like I said, links to those to the original recipe and a paraphrase of what I told you here about what to do with your chard stems and how to use your saffron. So thanks for listening. As always, if you have suggestions or ideas or questions, uh, drop me a note. I'm happy to address specifics. And otherwise, I'll be back in another couple weeks with, next time I swear, a more proper cooked through dinner recipe. All right, enjoy your meal. Thanks for listening.